Chaim Shacharazani, and in the news, over 80,000 Israelis come out in the rain to demonstrate against the legal reforms planned by the newly elected Netanyahu government. What is the current legal and political climate in Israel? And what more should we expect down the line? I'm happy to have with us on JBS, all the way from Israel, Ambassador Dani Ayalon, our good friend, whose wisdom and experience will help guide us and shed light on all that's going on in Israel at the moment. Ambassador Ayalon is an Israeli diplomat, columnist, and politician. He was Israel's ambassador to the United States, deputy foreign minister, as well as senior foreign policy advisor to Prime Ministers Ariel Sharon, Ehud Barak, and Benjamin Netanyahu. Dani, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Shachar. Thank you. So let me ask you, Dani, um, you know, the Netanyahu government, uh, almost right after being sworn in, a week after, announces these comprehensive legal reforms, which it hopes to enact very quickly. What is that all about? Well, this is something which is very complex. First, first of all, let me tell you, Shahar, it's very important to, uh, to, you know, to distinguish between what's happening here. You know, there's a lot of noise around it. The government has uh, war, has won the election and was sworn in, you know, squarely and fairly, no doubt about it. However, the agenda that uh, the government is promoting now is not exactly what they ran on the uh, during the elections and also the way it has been done. And you just mentioned it. This is the, the first thing that the government is doing with such a momentum. This is something they that caught many Israelis by, uh, by surprise. They certainly did not uh, expect that. And this is what actually brings out to the streets uh, tens of thousands of demonstrators. And um, I believe that this is just uh, the beginning. The legal system in Israel is part and parcel of our democratic system. It has been working very well, not without uh, faults, but it has been working very well in the sense that it did meet out uh, uh, justice. Also, when we look about the um, you know, the, uh, the, the Montesquieu, the Jeffersonian type of uh, governments, you know, you need a separation of the branches. And there has always been a firewall between the judicial and the executive, not, and, the, and the legislative. Legislative, executive, and the, and, and the legal has been working pretty well, although there were some um, discomfort by, by some. But if you look, you know, 75 years, this, uh, the government or the, the judicial system, certainly not the uh, Supreme Court, has never been in the way um, between governments, right wing or left wing, and their agenda until now. Because now the, 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 what the government is trying to do is change the rules of the game. And this is what brought up so many people. And this is why uh, we see all the demonstrations and um, all the, the attacks on this reform, the suggested reform. So for the sake of our viewers who are not as conversant in every, you know, the complex realities in Israel at the moment, give us a taste. When you were talking about changing, um, you know, fundamentally changing the system, give us an example of what is this reform proposing that to you constitutes such a change? I would concentrate on three major points. One is the overruling, that uh, this reform is trying to give the Knesset, 
the legislative uh, branch and overruling uh, power over decisions by the Supreme Court. Now, this is not something which is maybe unique, but the fact that they want this overruling to be done by a simple majority, you know, 61 out of the entire 120, this is um, giving uh, too much power to the, uh, to the legislative and also, you know, uh, this uh, majority could be a very incidental majority. You know, sometimes it would be the right wing, sometimes it would be the left wing. This is not the way to really uh, uh, continue the balance between the two uh, branches, which are so important. Secondly, is the way that the justices are um, being nominated. And here, the reform is basically suggesting that the politicians will be or will nominate the, uh, the, uh, the, the justices. Also, you know, creating a supremacy of the legislative and the executive over the, uh, the legislative. The last thing uh, is about more transparency. And here, I think there is a good case for the government to push transparency because it's not that uh, reform is not needed. And we would like to see more transparency um, in the judicial system. Uh, to see how justices are being nominated, to uh, free to the uh, to the public uh, the internal discussions of how they're being uh, um, uh, selected or, or uh, nominated, and many things like like that. But the fact that uh, it's going in such a hasty way and in such a strong way without even uh, inviting a full-scale, um, I would say, multi-denominational uh, group of all walks of the Israeli society. This is what bothers many people. You're talking about, um, you know, the sentiment in the Israeli public vis-a-vis -vis these reforms. I want to ask you about the demonstration that took place with over 80,000 people in Tel Aviv and more in Jerusalem and elsewhere. Is that unusual for Israel? Pretty much. I, I would say that uh, if we look uh, into the history of demonstrations uh, in Israel, usually it's very hard to get the Israelis out. Uh, so if you have, you know, a demonstration of 10,000 or 20,000 is considered a large one. 80,000 is huge, especially if you look back into last Motsa'e uh, Shabbat, as we say, you know, a Saturday night, which was a blistery day. It was uh, uh, rainy and to right. get 80,000 is quite something. From your political experience, do you feel that such demonstrations may have an impact on the government? Because um, Likud members and Netanyahu himself stated that yes, indeed, thousands of people came out that Saturday night, but millions voted in the elections. How do you see these demonstrations play out vis-a-vis -vis the government? I would say it depends on the stamina. If we will see this uh, on a continuous basis and maybe even more coming in, the government will have to pay attention to that. And um, I would say the real um, concern of the government is that there will be some, uh, some um, civil disobedience. So if uh, you add to that, uh, strikes, let's say if the history roots, the union labors is uh, joining uh, the, the demonstrations with strikes. If businesses will join, then I think the government uh, will, uh, will be in a, in a real plight. I hope we will not get there because I think the best way is to have a dialogue. 
right. and uh, with a dialogue which would not be limited in time, because this is something which is very, very serious, and it cannot, it cannot be done just on a flip of a dime. Right. You know, it's very important. I want to focus on something you said for the sake of our viewers. You're not saying no to reforms in general. You are emphasizing that reforms are needed, but not in the way it's being done. Absolutely. Not in the haste, not in the, uh, I would say, in the scope, and certainly not without a discourse, you know, with opposition, with other uh, members of uh, the Israeli society. Some would say that um, this step taken by the government reeks of some sort of vengeance. And I want to ask you, um, mm -hmm. it's very, I mean, this government was elected and so was spoken and told and said on the basis of governance and the rule of law and order and the desire to bring back law and order to the streets of Israel, to the north, to the south, crime issues. And yet the first step that this government is taking, the very first step doesn't pertain to crime or education or healthcare. It pertains to this specific issue of reforms. And if I'm not mistaken, and correct me if I'm wrong, Danny, these are top of the line reforms. These are reforms that impact the balance of power between politicians and the, and the, and the court, rather than um, a reform in the legal system that pertains to the what we call the individual, the uh, overload in the courts, the time it takes to conduct the trial, um, you know, the issues that really are relevant for the day to day. Is, is that the case? Shachar, you just hit it on the nail. Absolutely, this is uh, the case and this is why you see this demonstration uh, and, and people uh, are coming out. I also want to say one more thing from my perspective, you know, and uh, you as well, uh, defending Israel in the international arena. And today we know that the political legal warfare that the Palestinians have waged on Israel is in my mind just as uh, dangerous as we see uh, terror and other campaigns, uh, military and, and economic. We have to remember that the judicial system in Israel which is very much respected all over the world, has basically uh, kept as an iron dome against any international intervention in Israel. Uh, there were so many calls for uh, investigations, UN investigations, international um, uh, court in Hague investigations, and Israel always maintained, and rightly so, we are a democracy, we are sovereign here, we are quite capable in investigating ourselves. It is our interest to investigate. Uh, the judicial system is independent and there is no supremacy over any other branch, no legislative, no, no executive. And this was a real strong position that was accepted worldwide. This reform, as it is suggested now, will actually deny Israel a very, very important, I would say crucial um, um, tool to defend Israel worldwide. Danny, you have vast experience in these fields, within Israel, in the politics of Israel, outside of Israel, in the various position you filled. Does Prime Minister Netanyahu not understand that specific risk you're mentioning at the moment, which I think is emphasized by the request uh, by the General Assembly to issue the advisory opinion by the International Court of Justice? Does he not understand those risks? Does the government not understand those risks? Well, I don't know about the government. There are so many new uh, and unexperienced members in the government, but uh, you cannot uh, 
even suggest that Bibi Netanyahu does not understand. They think he is the most seasoned uh, uh, politician and statesman uh, in Israel. This is why it is so um, overwhelmingly surprising everyone here. And some suggest, and uh, I do not uh, subscribe necessarily to, to those that suggest that he's doing it out of vengeance because of his own um, uh, legal situation, you know, where uh, Netanyahu is actually, as we speak, he's standing in trial on, on three different accounts. And uh, some, uh, you know, would say that he is in a conflict of interest. He cannot really preside over a reform of the system because he is now being judged by and, and tried by the same system. So this is certainly adds, I would say, salt to injury uh, among those who oppose uh, this reform. Daniel, so, so that takes me back to you know, your gut instinct. Why did the government choose to launch its term, 64 majority, strong, cohesive coalition as opposed to the past coalition and current opposition? Why this? Why taking this step as the first step? Well, if I would uh, dive into, uh, you know, Machiavelli and, um, you know, political manipulations, it could be. And again, it's just my uh, surmising that uh, um, Bibi Netanyahu is, is trying to put all the uh, onus in the beginning. And he is sending basically Levin, which is the Minister of Justice, to actually promote and give all the bad news. So later on, he can come in as a responsible adult, mitigate the reform, uh, and um, and basically uh, go back into the statesman position. This is again my wild speculation. Uh, there could be many other speculations which are as good as mine. But you know, at, at the end of the day, first of all, you know, we're happy to have your insights into this because few people know as much as you do about the intricacies of these systems. But I'm just wondering uh, of your perspective about the composition of the current government. We've been accustomed to a Netanyahu governments where he always used to have somebody to blame, somebody on his side, somebody to his left, somebody who would pin the, uh, I can't do this because of this, and I can't do that because of that. And suddenly in this coalition, you have the ultra-Orthodox, you have the ultra-right wing, and then you have Benjamin Netanyahu, like you're saying, as a responsible adult or the most liberal element of the government. How is that going to work? How do you see this um, you know, going on in the rolling in the next year or so? It all comes back to Bibi Netanyahu. The buck stops with him and how he will conduct himself. It is true that uh, today he is the most liberal um, element in, in this government, but we have to understand, and again, I want to, uh, to, to emphasize, this government, this coalition has won fairly and squarely the elections. There's no doubt about it. Also, I believe most of its uh, conduct uh, will be for the benefit of the country, the national interests of the country, and the citizens. You know uh, why this government, why this, uh, uh, I would say, um, some would call it extreme right. Why the right or right of Likud um, parties won so big? Two reasons. Uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, we had riots in the streets, which combined Hamas incitement with also elements here in Israel of Israeli citizens, Arab Israelis. And I think this brought uh, a lot of... Um, fear 
into the Israelis of lack of, I would say, control and governability. There are some areas in the periphery of Israel, mostly in the Negev, where you see a combination of uh, nationalistic uh, Bedouin or Arab um, groups with um, uh, crime uh, families coming together. And uh, in some areas in the Negev today, it is very, very hazardous to drive overnight. And all this brought about uh, the, um, I would say, the uh, uh, support that this, uh, these elements in the government, this uh, coalition uh, parties won. And this is where they expect to perform. And we go back to your first question. This is what they expect, to restore law and order in the Negev, in the Galilee, to make sure that uh, crime groups and some nationalistic uh, terrorists, I would say, do not um, interfere with uh, daily life of, uh, of the citizens or not even go and uh, burn out uh, farms of right. Jews, by the way, not Arabs. Right. If this is what they should concentrate and not on the legal system, which actually is not in a crisis, right. needs reform, but certainly not in the way that it has been just suggested so far. Uh, so from, from what you've seen so far, have they made any statement in this regard? Or because the conversation in Israel seems to revolve only around these issues of the Supreme Court and, uh, and Knesset balance? Yeah, actually, this now looms large. We see the, the entire issue of the legal reform now uh, is taking place. Uh, there is no room in the public arena and discourse for other things. And uh, this is quite uh, deplorable. Uh, and, and we do hope, I do hope, that uh, the new Minister of uh, National uh, uh, Security uh, or Homeland Security uh, will succeed in his job because his success would be our success. Right. You know, you, you understand um, American Jewry the way you do, both from a diplomatic perspective, political perspective, but also advocacy. You have done a lot of work with various communities, with young adults, with students, with others to stand up for Israel and teach people how to promote Israel. Um, I want to ask you specifically about, you know, the composition of the American Jewish community is well known. As we know, not 100% of the American Jewish community is ultra-Orthodox. And, you know, the progressive, um, conservative reform, we have seen the kind of discourse vis-a-vis -vis these communities in the current ruling coalition, um, the kind of disdain, uh, not even, you know, not even mentioning the, the proposed amendment to the law of return, the Kotel solution that has been shelved by Netanyahu years ago and will not return in this, uh, in this coalition. How do you see the future of the relationship between the Jewish community here in the United States and this current Israeli government? And again, where is Benjamin Netanyahu in all of this? Well, you know, Shahar, in my mind, you know, there, there is no, there shouldn't be any daylight between Jews overseas and in Israel itself. You know, we not only we have a, uh, a common uh, past and legacy, but also, also a common uh, destination and a common future. I think everyone should understand that from our history, and I don't have to expound too much. Uh, it is quite legitimate to um, to argue and to have different opinions. You know, after all, we're all Jews. Everyone should have at least two opinions, if not more, which is very legitimate. Where my concern is where there are some groups, in um, especially in the United States, which actually call into question the very legitimacy of the Jewish state 
and of Zionism. And in my mind, those who say that they are not anti, uh, uh, you know, they are not, not anti-Semitic, they're only anti-Zionist, I think this is just a smokescreen. It's just right. a red herring because I do not see a difference between Zionism and Judaism. Uh, every Jew in the Haggadah calls right. for next year in Jerusalem. This is all about uh, what Zionism is, is, is all about. It is true that, uh, you know, the land which is ours has been challenged by others, but we have to remember in the 2000 years of long exile, nobody claimed the land. They were all occupiers. Jerusalem has never been uh, um, uh, made capital of any other people. So we have the strongest case. Uh, also the fact that, um, you know, Jews around the world, unfortunately for too long have been prey to any vagaries of any, uh, um, you know, uh, hooligans or uh, hoodlums or, uh, or extreme governments. So we do need here the shelter. And the fact that Israel is so strong and so proud, I think, makes Jews all over the world Very proud true. and strong. And you know that, Shachat, that one of the major, um, uh, let's say, uh, uh, jobs or assignment of every embassy of Israel around the world, and today we have more than 105 uh, embassies around and the consulates around the world, is also to make sure that the Jews in their jurisdiction, in their host country, are protected. And they do it by going and uh, um, applying to the local governments to legislate against anti-Semitism or racism, and not also to legislate, but to enforce the legislation. So this is where I am a little bit disappointed when I see groups that call into question the very legitimacy of uh, the state that side automatically with the Palestinians, which are so far our mortal enemies, and uh, those who blame Israel for the impasse in the, uh, in the political process with the Palestinians, this is something which is beyond uh, comprehension. And I would like uh, that uh, more sense will be drilled into those who are automatically against Israel. Amen to that. And, and what do you say from Israel to those members of the American Jewish community, Zionists who love Israel, who are concerned with the current policies of this government? What, what kind of message can we give them? I would say stick with us, have the patience, have the stamina. Um, you know, we are a very vibrant uh, democracy. We continue to be that as is uh, demonstrated by all those people who go out in the streets, the free press, the biting press, all this is not going to change. Uh, and um, if you do uh, want to affect some change here, you know what, the best way is to make Aliyah and to have a, a vote, uh, voting rights. But even not, you know, just come here and visit, see for yourself, and you don't have to meet anyone. You know, uh, uh, we have had in the past ministers in the government of Israel that were not welcome in Washington. One of them was Gandhi Zaevi, you know, which was considered a racist, you know, or the father of the, the, the transfer ideology. He was a minister. He was not seen uh, by anybody in Washington, but, you know, it wasn't the, the sky did not fall. Even Arik Sharon, the great Arik Sharon, when he was minister of HUD, you know, housing and uh, urbanization, you know, or housing here at the time was not welcome in Washington. So come to Israel. You don't have to meet uh, Ben Gvir or Smotrich if you don't like, but you have so many others here to meet. There's so much uh, that uh, we cherish 
that we have, that we have built so far. And um, I mean, don't stop in the middle of the game. We have still much more to do here and I'm very optimistic. We do like politics is a pendulum. You're here and then next, a few years later, you're there and that's how life works. One last question, Danny. I know your time is, um, is short. Um, New York Times columnist Tom Friedman called for um, Biden's intervention of, with Netanyahu in order to stop these reforms. Uh, clearly an internal Israeli issue, um, and yet he's calling for the U.S. administration to take a stand on that, on that issue. From your diplomatic experience, how do you view his request? What do you think about this? And what do you think the chances are that the Biden administration will interfere on these issues? I think this is a, a, a real outrageous uh, request. I think it's a dangerous request. And basically any foreign intervention actually will work against the demonstrators here in Israel, against those who want to have a uh, national uh, discourse. Again, Israel is a proud and sovereign independent country which uh, will not uh, tolerate, like any other country, would not tolerate any intervening from the outside. Danny, um, like you were saying, you know, leave our politics to us. We can handle it ourselves. I think your message is heard loud and clear. And as always, great appreciation from all of us here at JBS and in the uh, organized American Jewish community for all that you have done over the years and continue to do for the sake of the state of Israel and the Jewish people. Thank you, Shachar. Thank you all for joining us on JBS. And it was a pleasure listening to Ambassador Ayalon's perspective, shedding light on all that's happening in Israel. I'd like to thank our director, Sloan Copeland, JBS's managing director, Dara Golub, technical manager, Michael Paley, our transmission manager, John McDevitt, and to our wonderful producer of In The News, the great Carol Lilienthal. For JBS, I'm Shahar Azani. Until next time, see you soon. Shalom and Lehitraot.